Mark chapter number 4 and verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. The Bible says this in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind in the sea, uh, uh, rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'd like, I, again, enjoy the opportunity. I'd like to uh, take the time to preach a message entitled, Seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. Let's take the time to, to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time in his word. Lord, again, come before you to ask you to bless this time uh, as we seek in your word to learn the truths that will help us better be more Christ-like and accomplish the will that you have for our lives. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm here preaching to the Sunday night crowd. Uh, and so I think we are all on the same page uh, with you coming back tonight when I say Jesus Christ is Lord we would all say amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. Uh, he is everything that we know as, as Christians and as believers. Everything is based on who he is. And, and as we go to the book of Mark, uh, currently at the, the church where I'm preaching, I'm going through a series on Sunday nights through the book of Mark and understanding Jesus Christ. If we don't understand fully who Jesus Christ is, uh, we're missing out of a, of a very important aspect of growing and maturing as a believer. It is foundational for us to understand who Jesus is. And you may be sitting there thinking right now, well, I know who Jesus is. Uh, I know he's my savior. I know he died on the cross. Yes, that's awesome. That, that's so great. And, and the Bible, and you're correct, you're correct, you're in the right place to start on this. And even if you flip back with me to Mark chapter number one, Mark starts this book off right on the right foot here. As he says in verse number one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does he say? The Son of God. The Son of God. Right off the back. This is Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. This is the Son of God. And we go through, and I'll just go through the first four, uh, uh, three chapters into chapter number four to get our context tonight. But as Jesus was uh, born, and uh, we don't have that recorded here in the book of Mark, began to live his life and started his earthly ministry. One of the first significant events that we have is the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. And what a sight it would have been to see that. Now, whenever I read my Bible, and I hope you do too, or preach, you have to use your imagination. You have to have an imagination to read the Bible. Uh, you have to insert yourself in this. So go with me to the Jordan. A crowd of people, this, this man, John the Baptist, uh, the Lord has been silent for 400 years. 
They haven't heard a prophet. They haven't heard anything from God. Uh, uh, religious traditions had taken hold of the Jewish culture, but no revelation from God for 400 years. And here's this man, this wild-looking, camel-hair-dressed man eating locusts and honey out in the wilderness. Crazy guy, crazy guy, and he's preaching this truth of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And many people came and were being baptized under repentance uh, and, and listening to the man of God speak as he paved the way for Jesus Christ. And on this day, Jesus Christ comes. And what does John the Baptist do? He points as Jesus Christ comes into view. And he says, behold, the Son of God, as he comes. And he even says, I am not worthy to even loose uh, his sandal. I, here he comes. And, and Jesus requested him to be baptized. And John doesn't quite understand it and says, no, 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 I'm, I'm to be baptized by you. But here's the scene. Jesus Christ is baptized and the heavens open up. I mean, you got to be there. I mean, you weren't expecting to see this this day. The heavens open up, and all of a sudden, the voice of God, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, I mean, the scene that would have been set there. And so begins Jesus' earthly ministry. As those begin to follow, and uh, we know that uh, Andrew was there and saw this and runs and tells his brother of it and the disciples, and Jesus begins to call his disciples, and they are called to the most high calling that anybody can be called to. And the great thing is, is when you are saved, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have that same calling. Do we not? I mean, reality, we have to look at things in reality. I don't care what the world says is reality. The reality is, is the moment, the instant you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are called into the work of Jesus Christ, just as those apostles were. And as they go on, they begin to follow and see Jesus Christ do many things. Now, would you see me, agree with me at the beginning, they obviously knew who Jesus Christ was because they were following him. They, they said, uh, it, word was getting around, this is the Messiah. This is what has been promised to us right now. We must follow him. And what a journey they started out on. They went and time after time they saw Jesus confront uh, religious leaders who wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, and, and the end of chapter 1 going into chapter 2, Jesus uh, is teaching in the synagogue and a man who is possessed comes to him. And begins to uh, saying, Jesus, what do you have to do with me? What, what are you doing here? You have no place here. Jesus rebukes the demon and casts him out. He begins healing. He begins performing these miracles. And, and you got to keep this in mind. The disciples, the 12 disciples are with him watching all the miracles that he's doing. They're seeing, this, they're seeing the lame walk again. They're, hearing the, they're seeing the deaf hear again. They're watching the blind see again. I mean, this would have been incredible to have seen. Crowds begin to amass so much that Jesus could barely get into towns at this point to where this uh, massive amounts of people are crowding him. The Bible tells us in uh, chapter number two, as the crowds get so great, that night after a long day of ministering, he goes and begins, uh, wakes up early in the morning and begins to pray in the wilderness, in the deserts. And a group of people amass outside of uh, what, what would be suspected to be Peter and, uh, and Andrew's house there, uh, looking for Jesus Christ, but he's nowhere to be found. And the Bible tells us that Peter finds Jesus out there praying, Lord, what are you doing out here? There are people who are wanting to see you. The crowd is so great. But Jesus moves on, goes into Capernaum. Again, miracle after miracle, proof that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. At this point, if you're walking with disciples, put yourselves in your shoes, you think you would have a pretty good understanding of who Jesus Christ is? I would say so. I would say the disciples knew who Jesus Christ was. And we get to chapter number four, and this is where parables begin. We have a narrative through one through chapter, chapter one to chapter three. Chapter four, the parables begin. We have the parable of the sower. Jesus gives that. 
And we, we understand the whole purpose of parables. Parables were a judgment on those who reject Jesus Christ. That's in the passage there in chapter number four. Why did he begin speaking in parables and nothing else? Because those have reject, who had rejected him have rejected him in their hearts already. And they could not understand these parables. But those who were authentically seeking after Jesus Christ could understand those parables as Jesus would relate them to them. It's all there. Goes on and uh, gives the parable of the mustard seed and of the lamp and, and the different things. And we end the parables uh, part here in chapter number four and we get to our text. It's been a long day. The crowd was so big that day that Jesus was teaching from a boat. Uh, I mean, I tried to understand uh, the mechanics of teaching from a boat and trying to preach to a loud crowd. Because even if I took this mic off, half of you wouldn't be able to hear me. But the fact that Jesus Christ, and there's no evidence for this in God's word, I make it a point to make sure I let you know it's my opinion. My opinion, it was something supernatural, the voice that God had, that Jesus Christ had, to be able to speak to a multitude from a boat. Long day of preaching. And the Bible we have here in verse number 35, our story picks up here. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. Aaron, they're in this boat. The Bible says, let's go to the other side. Uh, pass over the Sea of Galilee. And the, the followers begin. The Bible tells us it's more than just the 12 disciples with him. There are other little boats that are with him. There's a, a pretty good-sized crowd. And they set sail across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going across, things are going great. Jesus exhausted from the day. Uh, and it, this is not the main point, but it's, it's, it has to be mentioned here that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. I, I mean, I know this is foundational. I know this is the Sunday night crowd, but we have to hear it every once in a while, right? Or else we grow kind of callous towards that. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. Why are you saying that? Because he had to take a nap. He was tired. I mean, he had been preaching and teaching all days. All day. I know after a full day of preaching, I, I get pretty tired. Jesus Christ had been, stand, I've been in a boat all day preaching and, so, and teaching, and so here he is sleeping. All is going well. And I won't get into the technicality of, of that landscape there, but the Sea of Galilee was subject to very intense, spontaneous storms, just the way the mountains roll into the Sea of Galilee. I mean, weather could change in a blink of an eye. And so as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, things got bad real quick. Real quick, they're going on and a storm approaches. Uh, I mean, this is not just any storm. Uh, this is a really bad storm to where the waves are so high, they're beginning to fill the, uh, fill the ship. Verse 37, it says, And then there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, not on the ship, so that it is, was now full. Again, our imaginations, we need to engage those. You're in a boat. The boat begins filling up with water. Is that a good sign? Is that a good thing? No, what are you doing? Nearest bucket, you're trying to get all the water out of that boat as fast as you can. Well, these are waves that are, are taller than the boat, enough to get in. The boat would have been about seven foot uh, uh, wide and about 15 foot in length. Uh, and this boat was filling up quickly. And the Bible says that it was beginning to be full. It was full. Uh, what happens when water gets into a boat and begins to fill the boat? What does the boat not do anymore? <laughs> doesn't float anymore. And so as they're sitting there, they begin to panic. They begin to, to realize this isn't good. We are about to lose our lives. And they run, uh, and towards the, the back of the, the, the boat there, they see Jesus still asleep. Again, uh, the, the comedy in this. Uh, uh, you got to think, put yourself there. It wasn't funny for them in the situation, but us looking back, we can see panic, chaos. We're going to die trying to get all the water. And they look in the back, and Jesus is asleep. No doubt half his body's underwater. I mean, the boat, it says the boat's filling up with water. And he's sitting there asleep on his pillow. 
And it clicks in, uh, I don't know at what points do they go to Jesus and say, and they begin to, to wake him up, and, and they, they yell to him, Master, teacher, rabbi, carest thou not that we perish? Do, do you not care that we're about to die? How could you be sleeping at a moment like this? I love Jesus' response. Well, there is no immediate response. Jesus Christ, and we can look back, we have, we have 2020 vision looking back at this. Jesus Christ knew that storm was going to happen, right? He knew it was going to happen. He knew exactly where they were at. But they asked him, why, 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 do you not care about us? We're about to die. The Bible says he just stands. I'm like, the sea's going, the storm is going, waves everywhere. He just stands. The Bible says he rebukes. He rebukes the sea, uh, rebukes the wind, verse 39. And all he says is this. Peace, be still. Now, I don't believe this was he stood up in a, in a grand show said, Peace, be still. No, I truly believe from our passage in the character of our Savior, he just stood up and simply said, Peace, be still. Instantly, waves gone. Storms gone. All is calm, the Bible says. A great calm. I mean, the most calm things can be. I grew up in South Florida, and one of the things that I loved doing uh, was going out to the Everglades in the mornings to go peacock bass fishing. Peacock bass. It's unique. It's, they're bass. They look like bass. They have like a peacock tail on their fin. And we go out into the Everglades and fish for these. And if you get out in the morning before any other people are out there, and you look out at the water canals that are out there, glass. I mean, it's really cool looking. Anybody seen anything like that? I mean, not a wave, not a ripple, just glass. And I truly believe when the Bible uses, the Greek language uses that great calm, glass. No wind. Instant calm over the sea. And I, I imagine it, you wouldn't really have much to say if you saw that. Again, use your imagination, put yourself there. You were just about to die. I mean, in your mind, the Bible says that the boat was full of water. You shouldn't even be floating right now. There's so much water in the boat. Everything is instantly calm. And the disciples and those that were there were speechless. Until we get to our last verse. The Bible says, and they feared exceedingly. And said one to another, what manner of man is this? That the wind and the sea obey him. Do you... Do you see the irony or, or there's something funny about this last statement here? The question that they ask is, what manner of man is this? Who is this guy? Now, we established at the beginning of the message, they knew who Jesus Christ was, right? I mean, they saw, the, they saw him be baptized. Uh, they saw the miracles that he was doing. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him heal sicknesses. They saw him heal uh, 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 diseases that man had no power over. They saw him do it. And yet in this instance, they see and say, who is this guy? They had, they, who, what manner of man is this? So it begs the question, how could they get to that? Of course they know who Jesus Christ is. I said the title of the message is Seeing is Not Believing. And the way this applies to us is many times we say we know who Jesus Christ is. And I believe 100%, if you're here on a Sunday night, I would say you know who Jesus Christ is. You know who Jesus Christ is. You know what he did. You know he died on a cross for our sins. We know that he's alive today and, and someday he's going to be back to take us home. We know that, but 
we don't really know who Jesus Christ is. And this is where the disciples were. Well, what is this? Well, there was an unexpected storm that came upon these disciples. They came upon this group here. And despite seeing everything, and despite seeing everything that Jesus had done, when a trial came their way, some very uncertain circumstances came away, none of that mattered to anymore. None of that mattered to them anymore. I mean, everything that they knew about Jesus went out the window when this storm, when they were faced with certain death, everything they knew about Jesus went out the window. Well, how do you know that? Because they accused him. They accused him. They looked at Jesus Christ and accused him of not caring for them. Do you see that? Master, why dost thou not care for us? Why cares not thou for us? Do Do you not care about us? Do you not know that we're about to die? Does that sound familiar? I, whenever I read this, I always think of, of the Israelites and Moses. Moses, God used Moses to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And here they are finally free of slavery and they run into the first thing. We're thirsty, or, or I'm sorry, they run into the first obstacle. The, the Egyptians are coming after them. What do they say to Moses? Would you just bring us out here to die? Uh, they get into another trouble where they don't have a lot of water and they start complaining, what? Moses, did you bring us out here to die? It's silly, isn't it? Silly. That they would question what God had, they had already seen God do miracles. Silly for the disciples to sit here and say, Jesus, do you not even care about us? And we can look and scoff and say, how foolish of them, but we're guilty of it. We're guilty of it. We have difficult things that come into our lives. We have circumstances that come in that are unexplainable. Uh, I can only think of, uh, of the families, and I, I can't even begin to imagine those families who have lost everything in Houston from a flood. Uh, and I, I've had people come and ask me, uh, and talking with different people, I had the opportunity uh, to, to give a devotion to the football team there in our town, and, and I talked about this, that, uh, you know, how do we answer that question? How could a God who is so loving let that happen like that? How could someone in that circumstances, how can you truly point them to God and say that God really cares and loves them? Well, one thing that we have to realize as believers here tonight is that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he delivers and cleanses us from our sin, does not mean we get a ticket out of all the difficulties of this life. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) To get saved and life is just awesome and we have no more difficulties or anything like that? No, if anything, the opposite is true. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are now an enemy of the world. You are now an enemy of Satan. And the difficult times are just beginning. And they come into our lives and we can get downhearted, whether, uh, downtrodden by whether it be health problems or financial problems or marriage problems or, or just, just losing our job or, or difficult times at work or whatever it may be. I know we all go through different struggles in life. I have no idea what you're going through tonight. But I know there are difficulties and struggles that we deal with on a daily basis. And, we, and we're guilty of this, uh, my, hand, uh, my hands up included, where we have sit back and questioned, Lord, do you not even care about me? I mean, Lord, come on. I read my Bible every day. Lord, I I pray every day. Lord, I don't miss a service. I'm involved in the ministries. I sing in the choir. I'm there for the greeting ministry. I help in the nursery. I'm an aide in Sunday school. I'm a Sunday school teacher. Lord, why? Why is this? Do Do you not even care about me? And what I'm doing for you, I mean, I'm following after you. I mean, I've gone out on a limb. I've left everything. I mean, think back to the disciples. They left everything. Uh, We left everything to follow you. Do you not even care about what's going on in my life? 
before we can be so quick to point our fingers and say, man, those disciples are so foolish, we do it. Especially if you believe and have trusted Jesus Christ, you say, he saved your soul. Your, your spirit has been made alive. That in and of itself is, is the greatest miracle that we can experience on this side of heaven, is trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And on top of that, he's given us the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, really, I think if we, side note here, I think if we lived in that reality, it would make a radical change in our life. If we lived in fact that the living God of heaven is indwelling you and I, I mean, it's pretty significant. That's a miracle in and of itself. We forget those things that we've seen God do. We forget what God did at a camp, or we forget about what God did in so-and-so's life and the victories and the salvations of people that we thought would never step foot in a church. We quickly forget those when our eyes are on the storm. We quickly forget those when we see our boat almost full of water and we're about to die. And we can be very accusatory of our Savior. But I'm so glad for the goodness of God. Jesus could have gotten up and rebuked him and just ripped him up and down. But one thing that God did, and this is the grace of Jesus Christ, the first thing that he did, peace be still. Peace be still. Calmed everything. And I'm glad God does those same things in our life still. The difficulties that we have and times where we just don't know and, and God works in a mighty way to calm the storms in our life. Does it in our lives and then he turns to the disciples and asks them and looks at them in that next verse and, and gets right to the root of the problem as he, as he says to them, what are you so, why are you so fearful? Why are you so scared? And he answers the question with another question, as Jesus does so well. How is it that you have no faith? Well, why were they so fearful? How did they get to that point? Well, they had no faith. They didn't have the faith. Jesus called them. Jesus called them to follow him. Jesus wasn't leading them out on the sea to be killed that day. He had a work to be done. They were following the Messiah. They had no faith. He answered it. How is it that you have no faith? Meaning this, how, because after what you have seen and heard. I mean, they just had an intimate time with Jesus Christ as he explained the parables to them in the beginning part of the sermon. How? How could you have no faith in light of what I have done? How? And, how, and it goes to us, how can we have such little faith in our life when we look back and see the things that God has done in our lives? How? How? Well, here, this is where the disciples truly grasp who Jesus Christ is. Because they've seen everything. They, they had seen everything, but their faith still wavered here. But here they are. They finally understand who Jesus Christ is. If you would take your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalms in chapter number 107. Who is this Jesus Christ that we're, they were now understanding and, and, fo- and just beginning, just beginning to grasp the reality of who he was as they're going to have more times where they falter. But this is who he is, verse uh, 23 of Psalm 107. Verse number 23, the Bible says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works, they, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth, lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and, at their, at, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. 
Doesn't that sound like a direct commentary of where we are in this passage? That's who our God is. That's who this Jesus Christ is. Uh, if you would, John chapter 1 and verse number 3. If we just use the screen there, John chapter 1 uh, and verse number 3 for the sake of time. But the Bible says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, there's lots of passages like this. Colossians in chapter number 1 and verse 16. Uh, a very important passage for us uh, that, de- decla- again, declares uh, who this Jesus is. The Bible says, For by him we are all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Who, who were they, what were they grasping at this moment? Who was this Jesus Christ? This was the creator of the wind. This was the creator of the sea. And the funny thing about a creator is a creator has absolute authority over what he has made. He, he has absolute uh, authority as in he can do whatever he wants with what he has made. And that includes this earth. That includes everything that's included in this earth. As Colossians 1.16 says, there is nothing that is out from under his authority. And he proves this. And and why were they exceedingly fearful, as the Bible says? Because they were beginning to grasp just an ounce of who Jesus Christ is. They were beginning to realize that this is the very God who spoke everything into existence. This is what it was. They were just beginning to get the right perspective of who Jesus Christ is. And here it is. This, this, This is this passage and this is what it's here for us for. They have the right perspective of who Jesus Christ is. Because before, before they had this perspective in their mind and realizing who Jesus Christ was, they'd seen everything, they knew, they had an understanding of the Messiah and everything, but they hadn't quite re- grasped that this was God right there in the boat with them. Before they grasped that and understood this perspective, their fear was in the trials that they were currently in. They're, they feared the storm, which is, that's a bad fear. That's the fear we're not supposed to have. They, they feared the storm. They feared for their lives. They feared the circumstances that were before them. But as soon as their perspective was cor- corrected by G- the grace of Jesus Christ, just saying, peace be still, and, and they were challenged by Jesus Christ about their lack of faith, they instantly had re- regained the right perspective. And the Bible says they feared exceedingly. There's two different fears here in this passage. One, they feared the storm. And two, they began to fear God. Well, what is this fear? What's the difference between those two fears? Well, one is the fear of man. It's the fear of circumstances. Two is the fear of God. What does that fear mean? Well, that's just a respect and awe of who God is. The fear of God comes when you have the right perspective of who God is. I mean, it is all about perspective in this passage here. They were fearful of who he was. After all they had seen Jesus do, now they're just starting to grasp it. Just starting to grasp a little bit who Jesus Christ is. So for us in our lives as we're following Jesus Christ, we, we begin to, uh, uh, the excitement that starts off in our relationship with Jesus Christ can quickly be quenched by the trials of this world. I, I remember as a teenager, I got saved when I was 15 years old. I was so excited. I had been playing a game for the couple of years that I had been going to church, my mom forcing me to go to church. But I knew, I knew I wasn't saved, and I finally had it settled, and I was on fire for God. Uh, but unfortunately, as the story of many teenagers and the culture that we live in, I went back to school in the fall. And the trials came, the persecution, 
of not knowing one other believer in the school that I was in. I, I am not exaggerating any shape or form. Broward County in, in South Florida is, is anti-God in every way, shape, or form you can think of. And me not knowing any other believer in high school had a desire to fit in. And I completely threw it that way because I was scared of what people were going to say about me. I didn't have their perspective. And it was quenched in those things and the difficulties come in. My, my parents were, uh, uh, were divorced and the different things that went into my life from that, the difficulties that came in uh, and the different stories. I would get so scared of the circumstances that I failed to keep the perspective that I was supposed to have on Jesus Christ. And I feared the circumstances of man than fearing the creator of the universe. And that's a mistake that we must not make. Now, that's a mistake that'll bring us much misery and unhappiness. So as you go through this life and you experience the difficulties that are going to come, a, a difficult verse to understand is James chapter 1 and verse 2. And what the Bible tells us, call, uh, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into those different, circum, difficult, difficult circumstances that come into your life. I mean, is, is anybody happy when difficult things come into their life? Man, I am so great that we got that extra bill in the mail that I had no idea was coming our way. Man, I'm sure I am great that I am struggling with pneumonia right now. Amen. Uh, I'm so great uh, that I totaled my car the other day. You know, I'm so great my house got robbed last night. The difficulties, they take all kinds of shapes and forms. Uh, and some serious, I mean, really, we think about this. Uh, you know, no one ever says, man, I'm sure glad that my dearly beloved family member is diagnosed with cancer. I, I'm, I'm so glad that Christians are dying for their beliefs. No, I, that makes no sense whatsoever. So how could James chapter 1 verse 2, how could that be something that we can apply to our lives? Well, the fact is, is that with the difficulties that come in life, being in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to go through them alone. That's where the peace and the joy comes in. We're no longer alone in those. Jesus Christ is in the vessel with us. And even, and even when it seems like he's sleeping and not really there, he is there. He's there with us in the vessel. There's a kid's song that I love. We have a preschool at the church that I'm at, and it's one of my favorite songs to teach. And with Christ in my vessel, I can smile in the storm. It's a good song. That's a deep theological, simple children's song. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm. And so true. May we not let the circumstances of this life distract us from the perspective of who God really is, and the fact that the very God of the universe is indwelling right now, the creator of the universe is dwelling in us. If you would take your Bibles to the book of Hebrews as we close. Hebrews in chapter number 13. Hebrews 13 and verse number five. Encouraging words as, as we look at this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse five, the Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And this is so great, verse number six, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. May we have that attitude uh, in our lives. Go to First Peter in chapter number five. First Peter chapter number five and verse seven. More promises from the word of God. The Bible says this, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. There's no need to worry. It may look like the boat is sinking around you. It may look like there is no hope and you're about to, about, about to lose your life. 
but know that Jesus Christ is there in the vessel with you. We can cast our cares upon him. And finally, go to Romans in chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 38. The Bible says in Romans 8, 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I challenge you tonight. Are you living life with the right perspective? Are you fearing those unexpected storms? Or are you fearing exceedingly our God, the creator of the universe who watches over us and has promised to always be with us?